Welcome to the Eden Podcast, where we think again about the Bible on women and men, and we start with the correct understanding of what happened in the Garden of Eden back in the beginning. Today, we'll be hearing from Bruce C.E. Fleming, founder of the True 316 Project. He's a former academic dean and professor of practical theology. The foundation of the True 316 Project is based on the research of Dr. Joy Fleming, who wrote the book, Man and Woman in Biblical Unity, Theology from Genesis 2 to 3. Do you know what the 11 Hebrew words mean that God spoke to the woman in the Garden of Eden? Bruce and Joy put that and more in the Book of Eden, Genesis 2 to 3. We invite you to get a copy today and make sure you have a solid foundation for understanding the seven key passages on women and men in the Bible. It turns out when Genesis 3.16 becomes clear, all the other passages become clear too. You can learn more at our website, true316.com. That's tru316.com. And now enjoy today's episode of The Eden Podcast. The focus of this episode is one attack and two responses. We're looking at the Book of Eden, and I have in front of me both page 61 in the paperback version, and it turns out page 59 in my Kindle version. And with us today is Joanne Hagemeyer. Hi, Joanne. Hi, Bruce. So let's dive in. We're going to start with page 61, which is the beginning part of study guide number four. And I'll start reading what we have. Our professor had just pointed out a famous sculpture of Eve on the cathedral in Strasbourg, France. Then he commented, this shows what the sculptor thought of her motivation. He thought she was the temptress. In front, she looks beguiling, but in back, she shows signs that she is in league with the serpent. This medieval idea is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that the tempter in the garden was the serpent. That is why God cursed the serpent tempter. And that is one of the reasons why when we look for a curse on the woman in the Hebrew text, we don't find one. So we come to exercise number one, which is to discover the Bible's depiction of the serpent. And the first question asks, what are the two greatest crimes in human history perpetrated by the serpent? That's what we want to find out. And we have two scriptures to help us understand what those crimes were. The first is a series of verses in Genesis 3. The second, a series of verses in Luke 22. Okay, let me read the Genesis uh, for us one. So it'll be Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 7, and then 10, and then 24. First, we start with the attack at the Garden of Eden, Genesis 3, 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, oh, yeah, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. 
Then God comes and calls out, and the man answers, and he answers for himself in verse 10. I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And then verse 24, we have a consequence going on here. After God drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden a special angel, cherubim, and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So what do we have going on here? We have the first crime is actually the second greatest crime. This first crime is to kill the first two humans. And we don't have them with us today. They did die. There's a lot going on in here. There's a lot that happens in this section. And I think we're going to come back to that as we go through the study guide, right? Sure. Yeah. So I'll kind of leave it with that. But the basic idea is that, that the uh, the serpent talked to both of them. The pronouns are plural in verses one through five. So it's you two, y'all, you both. Satan's talking to both of them. The woman and the man were supposed to rule over all the creatures. And so the serpent speaks and he gets it wrong. So the woman rules over him and says, no, no, that's not right. Let me tell you the right way. But then Satan presses his attack and it becomes more obvious. He's attacking uh, God's word. He's attacking God. He's lying to her. He's trying to kill her. And uh, she doesn't, doesn't realize what's going on. She's deceived and does eat. And the man is beside her and he, he figures out what's going on, but he still, he eats. And then in verse 10, something's already happened to the man. Here is the guy on his honeymoon. The two of them are doing everything together in the Garden of Eden bed and breakfast. And yet he's all of a sudden talking about me, 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 me. He says, I, four different times, as if she's not even there. If it wasn't the two of them, it had sowed the fig leaves. There's something going on in his heart. And then, then at the end, God, so you can see that he's, he says, I, he's feeling ashamed. He's feeling guilty. There's, he's, there's something wrong with him. And then in verse 24, because there is something wrong with them, he chases, chases man out of the garden of Eden. You can't come back. You can't eat of the tree of life. That's, that's not something that that's right for you. Not good for you now. So that's the end. That's the first crime is to kill the man and woman. What's the second crime? Do you want to take it through, take us through Luke, the verses there, Joanne? Certainly. Let's see if we can see some of the parallels. So we begin in Luke 22, verse 3, when Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot, who is one of the twelve, he went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers of the temple police about how he might betray Jesus to them. And they were greatly pleased and agreed to give him money. So he consented and began to look for an opportunity to betray Jesus to them when no crowd was present. That was Luke 22, what, starting with verse 3 up to? Up to verse 6, but now we're going to go to verse 21. Okay. Jesus is sitting at the table with the disciples. They're having their last supper together, and one of them is wondering what's going on, because Jesus had said this cryptic thing about being betrayed. So Jesus said, But see, the one who betrays me is with me, and his hand is on the table. For the Son of Man is going as it has been determined, but woe to that one by whom he is betrayed. And so adventures ensue. Now they're in the garden. It's verse 48. And Jesus says, But Jesus said to him, Judas, is it with a kiss that you are betraying the Son of Man? 
And then we go to another chapter, chapter 23, right afterwards, and it's the crucifixion scene. And now we read in verse 44, It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. There's the worst crime in history was the, the engineering of the crucifixion, bringing about of the execution of the Son of God on the cross. And he tempted somebody else to get involved with that. So we have some parallels. I'm afraid especially the parallels are between Adam and Judas with some bad attitude changes going on here. The word betray sticks out to me because in a couple of verses in Genesis, we're going to pick up where the, the man betrays uh, the woman. But the main crimes were to kill the humans and to kill God to kill Jesus, our, our sacrifice. All right, we've got a terrible enemy here that's now in the Garden of Eden. Now let's look at exercise number one verse or question number two. So we're still trying to discover the Bible's depiction of the serpent. And the next person to go to is Jesus himself, who, who did describe the serpent in John 8, verse 44. I have that right here with me. Jesus said, you are from your father. He's speaking to uh, some people. He says, you are from your father, the devil, and you choose to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks according to his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And so the second question has two parts. The first one is, how is Jesus' description supported by the passages that we read in Genesis and Luke. And then the next question is, how is Jesus' uh, description supported in these first five verses in Genesis 3? I really want to dive into those first five verses of Genesis 3. Let's take a look at that. So the first problem is that he, this is the most glorious angel in, in all creation, and he doesn't come that way. He doesn't show her, hi, I'm I'm the top angel, and I'm I'm like God, and I'm God-like, and I, I want to... I want to lead you onto my side. He doesn't make that at all obvious. Instead, he, he masquerades inside the body of a serpent, like one of the animals over which they're supposed to rule. He speaks to them and he says some really interesting crooked things. So he says, did, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Which probably startled them both. Kind of like, what? 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 So there was this cognitive dissonance he, he slaps them with right away. And she says, well, no, that's, that's not right. You know, let me tell you what's right. And then in verse four, Satan comes back with a flat out lie. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. And in verse five, now we have an attack against God himself. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. No, God knows that they're already like God. We found that in Genesis chapter one. They're both in the image. They're both in the likeness of God. They're both ruling over everything else, just like God rules over things. They're like God already, and yet he is claiming to say, no, you're going to know good and evil. That's what he's trying to emphasize. And so Satan is attacking. He's the father of lies. He's giving the very first lies that anybody's ever heard. They're coming out of his own being. And, and the woman is trying to uh, bat these flies away, you know, and, and 
And then it turns out they're not flies. They're, they're flaming darts. They're really, they go right to the heart. And so it's a terrible attack with a terrible result. It's really kind of awful to see how strong this temptation and horrible things afterwards has continued for untold millennia. Mm -hmm. But it does bring us into the last part of this exercise, and that is, according to Jesus' example in Matthew 4, the first 10 verses, is listening to and talking with the serpent a sin? It's a really important question. And in Matthew chapter 4, those first verses are actually the temptation of Christ. So chapter 4, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you might not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. We've got a flat out attack here. And the question is, is it, is it just at the end of the 40 days that he was tempted? Some people think, no, it was all 40 days. But we have the summary of what happens here at the very end. And so Satan is coming and he's, attempt, he's tempting Jesus. And uh, he's, <laughs> it looks like he's quoting scripture. But he's misquoting scripture as he goes along. I don't think we'll go into that, but there's there are certain parts that he leaves out, and uh, and Jesus knows the scripture better than that, and he uh, uses the scriptures properly. And this is a good way for us to understand how do we combat Satan's lies? We combat them. We combat his lies with the truth of God's word. So what did Eve do in the Garden of Eden? She quoted God. She said, you know, she came back against Satan and she said, no, this is what God has said. And we need to know that in our own lives. What is it that God has said? And there are all kinds of lies and temptations coming at us in our life. And we need to know the whole word of God. We really do. And to speak to the question as well, that it's not a sin to speak back to Satan as Jesus did. That's not where the problem lies. And yet there are some people that say it was her fault. She shouldn't have talked to that serpent. She engaged in dialogue with the devil. <laughs> and they come up with all kinds of strange doctrines and say, see, she really was part temptress and she was in cahoots with him and doing all that stuff. No, no, uh, we may have to dialogue with the devil. But if we do, we just simply use God's word and we stick with that. Such an excellent example. I'm really thankful that that story is preserved for us. That brings us kind of to an ending to this exercise, and you have some words here about Satan. People think that, and they see pictures in children's Bibles and other places too, of this one serpent hanging down from the branch, and this one person standing there uh, taken in by the serpent as if it was that way, and it wasn't. Satan was an equal opportunity tempter. 
I'm reading from page 62 in my paperback now. Satan was an equal opportunity tempter. He tempted both the woman and the man. The Hebrew text in Genesis chapter 3 verses 1 through 5 shows Satan using plural pronouns each time he says you. In other words, he wasn't aiming his words at just the woman. And the man was right there listening to all he said. Neither the woman nor the man had ever heard a lie before. Then we get down to exercise number two, separate the lies and the truth. So we're looking at a couple of questions in this section. And the first one is that in reading the Apostle Paul's inspired reference in 2 Corinthians, and we have another one in 1 Timothy, who was deceived and who was not? And that's really referring to uh, the Apostle Paul talking about Eve. And so in the 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3, uh, Paul said, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by its cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And then he says in 1 Timothy 2, verse 14, And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. So who was deceived and who wasn't? It's interesting. He's talking to the whole church in Corinth when he's talking about that. So he's not talking about, you know, just women being deceived and having a problem there. He's talking about all of us are like her in the case that we can be deceived like she was. And in 1 Timothy 2, he's going back to the history of what happened and who ate first and, and, and he's making a different point. But the detail we're picking up here is that Eve was deceived. And that's said twice in the New Testament. That's the only two times we come across Eve in the New Testament, actually. And then we also learn at the same time that the man was not deceived. So she wasn't deceived and he was. Now, is that important? We'll, we'll find out now as we keep studying. And that brings us into a little deeper, that question about who was deceived and who wasn't, because now we're asking who protected and who revealed the true perpetrator in Genesis 3? And, and why is that significant? So we're going to pick up where the man left off in his answer to God, verse 11, and maybe just to continue with him by starting in verse 10 and moving into what God said, and he said through verse 13. So Genesis 3.10, the man answered, I heard you in the garden, and I, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, well, the woman you put here with me, she gave me from some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what's this that you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So at this point, we realize that somebody did it on purpose and somebody didn't. But what, what I'm finding in the details are really interesting here is that the man could have said, uh, who told you when God said, who told you that you, you know, were naked? He could have said, well, nobody told me, but there was this voice in the garden that said to me that you weren't doing so well, God, and that there was a, there were some better things that we could do. We could go farther. And so I listened to that voice. That's really what he's trying to point out. You know, what did you, did you have another voice? You know, where did this is tell me about the serpent tempter, Adam and Adam didn't Adam hid him and Adam dissembled. Adam deceived. He tried to leave out some details and he said, well, I was all by myself and yeah, I ate. So he did not reveal that he had disobeyed or that he had rebelled, frankly. 
that he had followed the, the model of what Satan was doing in rebelling against God. Now, the woman, that was different. She, she looked at that stuff. She heard those words. She thought about it herself, and then she ate the fruit and shared it with her husband. They'd probably shared lots of fruit by that time in the garden. It was like, hey, try this. You know, hey, this is good. And so they both ate, and they both fell in the sense that now they're both naked and ashamed. There's a very interesting thing here, though, is that he did it on purpose and she didn't. And if you think about that, there's a distinction in the Bible about first-degree sin and second-degree sin, especially in the idea of murder. So I think we should look at that. That's going to be our next exercise question. Exercise three, discerning the difference between the first and second-degree types of sin. You want to take us here for that, Joanne? Absolutely. We're actually going to go into Joshua chapter 20, and we're going to hear some very interesting things that God says about murderers. Then the Lord said to Joshua, tell the Israelites to designate the cities of refuge, as I instructed you through Moses already, so that anyone who kills a person accidentally and unintentionally may flee there and find protection from the avenger of blood. When he flees to one of these cities, he's to stand in the entrance of the city gate and state his case before the elders of that city. Then they are to admit him into their city and give him a place to live with them. If the avenger of blood pursues him, they must not surrender the one accused because he killed his neighbor unintentionally and without malice aforethought. He is to stay in that city until he has stood trial before the assembly and until the death of the high priest who is serving at that time. Then he may go back to his own home in the town from which he fled. Verse 7, so they set apart Kedesh and Galilee in the hill country of Naphtali, Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, and Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the hill country of Judah. On the east side of the Jordan of Jericho, they designated Bezer in the desert on the plateau of the tribe of Reuben, Ramoth in Gilead in the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan in the tribe of Manasseh. Any of the Israelites or any alien living among them who killed someone accidentally could flee to those designated cities and not be killed by the avenger of blood prior to standing trial before the assembly. Now, the trial was to see if it was really uh, not intentional or if it was intentional. If it was intentional, then there was a death penalty. So the value of life is valued ultimately. And But if, if you didn't kill somebody on purpose, that's a second-degree sin. That's second-degree murder. Now, God acted that way with with the Israelites in the promised land, but he also acted that very same way back in the Garden of Eden. And there God says, all right, I've got two eaters here. I've got a first degree eater and I've got a second degree eater. The first degree eater did it on purpose. The second degree eater did not do it on purpose. And I'm going to judge them differently. And uh, we'll find out about that as we keep going. Well, really, that's exactly where we want to head. In Genesis 3, 14 through 17, God does make a distinction between the man, the woman, and the serpent based upon who and what was cursed. That's one of our clues. In Genesis 3, 14 to 17, the thing I want us to pick out and to notice is that when God speaks to the serpent in verses 14 and 15, there's a curse that's mentioned. When God speaks to the man in verses 17 through 19, there's a curse that's mentioned. In the Hebrew language, we have the word curse in verse 14. We have the word curse in verse 17. When God speaks to the woman in verse 16, there's no mention of a curse. Just not there. So let's not put one there. Let's pay attention to where the curses are mentioned. 
Let me pick up at verse 15. And I'm quoting here from Dr. Joy Fleming, my wife, who, who researched this for seven years and gives us a good translation into English. In verse 15, I will confirm the enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will bruise, bruise you on the head and you will bruise him on the heel. Then to the woman, he said in verse 16, line one, I will greatly multiply your sorrowful toil and your conception. Line two, with effort, you will give birth to children. Line three, your affection is for your husband. Line four, but he will rule over you. Verse 17, and to the man, he said, because you listened to the voice of your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground because of you in sorrowful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. Now, there's a lot uh, more detail that we need to pull out of these verses from 14 to 19, and we will do that, but not right now. We'll, get, we'll come to that later. Let me quote from the bottom of page 63. People are always judging or misjudging who did what in the Garden of Eden. We can gain insight into what happened there by thinking about the differences between first-degree and second-degree offenders. The father of lies deceived the woman. After she was deceived, the woman took some fruit and took a bite. She gave some to the man who was right there with her, and he took a bite, two bites. But these bites were not taken in the same way. Because the woman ate only after being deceived, she was a second-degree offender. Because the man was not deceived, but ate anyway, he was a first-degree offender. He sinned on purpose. That's why God made a distinction in the judgments on each one. Thanks for listening to the Eden Podcast. Do you have your own copy of the Book of Eden, Genesis 2 to 3, and our other books on the seven key passages on women and men in the Bible? Visit our website at true316.com. Do you want to go deeper? You're invited to enroll in the current study unit of True School. Take a look. Go to true316.com slash school.